0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome back to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. And on today's show, we've got Sports Illustrated's Julie Kliegman going deep on all things Spongebob. Yes, Spongebob a character I did not watch as a child, but as a grown adult, have painted on my garage wall. <laughs> I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And on the line with me, joining us from our Brooklyn bureau, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, were you a, uh, were you a SpongeBob guy at any point in your life?
1: Uh, you know, briefly in my twenties, but I, I, I really enjoy it and I'll watch it with the kids and, uh, I think it's really fun and funny. So I am, I am pro SpongeBob.
0: Yeah. For whatever reason, SpongeBob does strike me as something you would like pick up later in, (laughs) in life and, and appreciate for the sly humor that's woven throughout that appeals to older audiences um mm-hmm. as i've said I, I did not watch it growing up but it did make my garage mural uh because i showed <laughs> charlie one of the movies and she thought it was funny so uh it's up it was there. the
1: first broadway show we took our kids to and it was awesome like the broadway show has great music look at the people like ti and david bowie wrote songs for it and Um, It was really creative with how it used sets. They were very clever about how they did things in that. I was really impressed.
0: We've got a full show. We've got our distractions coming up. Hold on.
1: I I got one I want to throw at you. I want to go for a little bit of curveball here. Earlier this afternoon, Sports Illustrated posed the following question on Twitter. What is your favorite Sports Illustrated cover? I really enjoyed reading that thread. You were the first person I saw reply to it. So you put it into my feed. So I want to ask you, Sports Illustrated covers that stand out to you, go.
0: Okay, well, clearly, my autographed Icky Woods, 1988. It's probably January of 89, I don't know. But the Bengals Super Bowl bound is has been on my wall forever.
1: You also gave me that autograph for when I got engaged, I believe. Yeah, so right, yes, I think I gave it to like you the, and
0: Steve Schaber, yeah. um potentially over the years. Let's see. So I got SI a ton growing up like pretty much from middle school on and then Mm -hmm. gareth i have a very weird connection to si in the years 2000 2001 okay because my off-campus house in bradley university Mm -hmm. had um like I don't know wainscoting or whatever it is, like kind of like that that molding around it in like an old school kind of old school fashion, and up mm-hmm. above, there was like a gap in between that type of stuff and that uh, was perfect for like a magazine cover to fit in, so right, much right. like college other college kids would be like lining their room with empties. I would tape up on the wall each SI cover as it came. So I can huh. I can pretty much still picture just if I was in a VR simulation of my off-campus house, I could tell you like, oh, that's where it's like the Shaq Kobe survivors uh, when they beat the Blazers. That's where Bob Knight yeah. got in trouble. That's where Bob Knight got fired. Um, right. Like that whole – that's where Eddie George and the Titans were taking over the NFL like – it uh-huh. was a strange year, and I do remember. I think it was Tiger Woods was the Athlete of the Year, and they had him in uh-huh. like this weird all black outfit, kind of goofily standing, almost like like a like a, a riff on the old beatnik um, kind of cliche. And it just says one cool cat, and I just remember looking huh. at that and thinking it was patently absurd, even at the time.
1: Well, they used to. It seems like they had a lot more access to the athletes and they would do, like, a real photo shoot with, like, art design and things like that. Like, the one that jumped out to me was somebody put up from 1979, Michigan State sophomore Irvin Johnson, or Magic Johnson, and he's dressed as, quote-unquote, a magician while dunking, but it's, like, he is in, like, a top hat and tails. (laughs) Oh, my God, the one cool cat is... It looks like they've got him dressed like Charlie Chaplin.
0: So, oh, is that what it's like supposed all to be? In
1: black, basically. Yeah. Well, I think it is. But he's got but it's not old timey. It
0: would work if it was like old timey golf gear, but he's wearing like a weird v neck sweater and like this yeah, horrible that belt.
1: Is, that is strange.
0: Yeah. The other one that really stands out to me is I remember stuff like the incredible bust. Wasn't that? Tony Mandarich, yeah, where it was like he was the incredible bulk, and then he was the incredible bust. They would follow. I always like when they follow followed up on SI covers like that. What about you? What what stands out to you?
1: Steve McNair's Alcorn State hand him the Heisman. I thought was oh yeah really cool because it came out of nowhere for me. Like I'd never heard of this story, and then I read it and remember thinking like this guy's awesome, and then he was like. I feel like they broke him nationally in the way that would never happen now. Um, My favorite from recent years was when Jonas Gray of the Patriots ran for 200 yards in a Sunday night game against the Colts and ended up on Sports Illustrated's cover the following week. And there's a big story around New England and he got all excited because he'd come out of nowhere to run for 200 yards and then he was late for practice. And so they cut it. (laughs) Like they they cut him (laughs) that week, like that he was on Sports Illustrated and ran for two hundred yards, and nobody else ever picked him up, and that was the end of his career. All
0: right, well, you know what? We were gonna talk about what we did for Thanksgiving, but that was a lot more fun, Gareth. So I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, <laughs> I'm glad we get you. to revisit some of uh, our, our favorite covers. But right now, let's get to our interview with Julie Kliegman from the aforementioned Sports Illustrated. She serves as their copy chief. You might have also seen her work at SI or places like The Ringer or Paste, which comes up in our interview. And if you go to her Twitter, what you'll see is her saying, talk to me about SpongeBob in her Twitter bio. And when I see something like that, Gareth... I crack my (laughs) knuckles, and I head in for an email. And I was like, the floor is yours. Let's talk SpongeBob. And so we get into it. We talk about the musical. You mentioned it off the top Mm -hmm. about kind of the inventive way they tried to reimagine the cartoon for the stage. We talk about the show, favorite episodes, a recent list she found that she said was hot garbage and uh, gave her the chance to course correct on. uh, Talked about the movies, whether they hold up as good as the series and also got some perspectives from her about maybe how to introduce my own kids to the SpongeBob phenomenon as they're aging into the right um, time of their lives to, to meet the characters. So I thought it was a lot of fun. And then after the interview, stick around. We will be back to distract you. Yo, yo, I'm over here. All right. Look, so full disclosure: I've been doing the show for five years, mm-hmm. and sometimes the topics are like right in my wheelhouse. Other times, they are more educational, <laughs> and Sponge <laughs> SpongeBob is one of those weird tweener things for me because I I feel like I kind of missed the window on it. I'm uh yeah I just you know I'm in my early 40s, so like I was like a mm-hmm. 80s cartoons into like Simpsons kid. And then now my okay. my my you know my oldest daughter is seven. We've watched like the movie. Um, she's starting to get into SpongeBob. But I, I feel like we're not quite there. So I am ready to to soak in as much knowledge as you can provide <laughs> me to help make informed choices about how to expose her to this entire world.
2: All right. Happy to do that <laughs> and uh, love the soak in pun. Nicely done. Yeah, that's done. right. <laughs> uh,
0: so I know a little bit about your experience with the show, but do you want to just kind of recount for our listeners kind of when you discovered it? and 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 what you kind of drew you into to this world
2: sure um i i kind of like to say that i discovered it right when i was supposed to be like aging out of nickelodeon right so that's kind of embarrassing for me but it's the truth um and you know it's just funny it's it's just good um it's really really absurdist um And fun and colorful, but it it manages to make these, like, larger points about the world or, like, about how we relate to each other.
0: Yeah, and the humor of the show, from what I've seen, is something that combines and meshes a lot of different styles. Um, There's a surrealist Mm -hmm. part to it. There's also, like, these are clearly absurdist characters in a strange world, but yet they have undeniably human moments um how would you characterize the humor of the show to people who maybe aren't as familiar with it
2: yeah um it's very silly very goofy Mm -hmm. um but it it has these underlying threads that like make it appealing to adults still so it's one of those kind of shows
0: it also doesn't have like a really strong history of weaving in like pop culture references things that you just don't get until you're a little bit older and do any stand out to you that kind of like snuck up on you later in life you're like oh my gosh I can't believe I I missed that
2: I know when I saw the first movie I definitely didn't know who David Hasselhoff was so (laughs) that was really confusing
0: (laughs) that would be confusing
2: what about like the as I'm
0: as I'm the newbie here Mm -hmm. like I've seen you write about like binging, you know, binging Spongebob, that kind of stuff. How do you recommend people start on the journey now? Do you say like, hey, no, you got to start at the beginning and just go or like like a lot of the kids shows back then, especially uh, or cartoons. It seemed like I'm imagining most of the episodes were sort of bottle episodes. You can kind of dive in wherever you need to. Right.
2: Right. I I would say to start at the beginning, not because I'm a completionist, but because I think seasons (laughs) one and two are like some of their best stuff. Um just genuinely, I mean, I'm sure the later stuff is good. They started getting all kinds of guest stars later on, like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, David Bowie, obviously. Right. Um, but uh, the a lot of the moments, like from the memes that we constantly reference, um, and a lot of the popular songs and stuff like that, are really from the first couple of seasons. Yeah, the the the
0: music of it is interesting, right? Like how. <sighs> How do you how do you describe like what the, the musical elements did for the show overall?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one way the show kind of like cemented itself in our collective brains. Um, the fun song is just so I've written about this before, but the fun song is just like so um, representative of what the show is as a whole. Let me spell it for you.
1: F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere and anytime at
2: all. Down here in the deep blue sea. And I remember uh, when I was younger, I made like a. I back when burning CDs was a thing. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> not all that long ago, I guess, um, I burned a CD of like the music from SpongeBob um and it was like my favorite thing to like give out to people i'm sure no one enjoyed it besides me um but there's like the christmas song on there i don't even celebrate christmas it's fine um there's um all sorts of stuff on there um but it's it's great i think the show wouldn't be the show without the music even though it's not something like um um steven universe where there's constant music but right. i think when it is there it's really impactful and i think the spongebob musical did a great job of like showcasing that
0: yeah i do want to get in. we're going to get into the musical later because i that's right. another thing that's like kind of snuck up on me and i, I kind of discovered it in prepping for the show and my co-host <laughs> who can't be here today i also had some thoughts on that i, I got to relay but let me go back to the to the fun song how's that one go again really (laughs) i was i I always try to trick my guests into singing on the show if they reference music so
2: (laughs) i'm not that stupid
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay so even just today i saw you tweet about like a um a tv guide ranking of the 100 best spongebob shows and i did laugh out loud as you were like this list is garbage (laughs) so (laughs) help me understand Um, Help me understand what you didn't like about that and maybe how you might rank some of the signature episodes of the show.
2: Um, Yeah, so I I was doing my research for the show, as any good journalist would, um, just refreshing myself on some of my favorite episodes. And yeah, I mean, I do think this list is garbage. Um, With all due (laughs) respect to the person who wrote it, I don't, you know, my Spongebob fandom is not their Spongebob fandom. It's okay for us to appreciate it differently um
0: well their number one was the what the pizza delivery
2: yeah i think that's okay i think it's an okay episode of spongebob um maybe like top 20 or something that's the one where spongebob like drives the rock to save them um when they're lost in the middle of like the desert or something the underwater desert (laughs) um (laughs) uh i think that one's all right but the top 10 is really just kind of random to me and there's like as people were pointing out on twitter in response to me um band geeks is not in the top 10 which is a huge problem um that's when the the whole gang plays at like the bubble bowl which is their version of the super bowl basically um we actually saw this in the super bowl a couple of years ago with maroon 5. um they played a little clip of spongebob and everyone lost their shit. Oh,
0: um like i was a band geek so it's i'm always like uh I, i'm here for band related content
2: okay yeah i was not a band geek but you gotta watch that episode
0: <laughs> noted it's it, it's going right in the queue uh, if
2: you've ever heard the iconic line like is mayonnaise an instrument that's from the band <laughs> geek episode.
0: <laughs>
2: okay now
1: how many of you have played musical instruments before do instruments of torture count
0: no
2: is mayonnaise an instrument
0: no patrick mayonnaise is not an instrument So what else would be? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What else would be in your like top top five or so?
2: Okay, well, my personal favorite is a bit out there. I don't think it's like a lock for top five, but it would be in my personal top five is uh, number 78 on this list, which is walking small plankton becomes a life coach, uh, not a very natural fit for him. Uh, he tries to teach SpongeBob how to be more assertive, and SpongeBob thinks that word means insertive, and he uh, <laughs> he actually inserts his hand into like Plankton's pocket and goes beep beep. Um, but <laughs> the but yeah, SpongeBob doesn't take well to assertiveness or aggression. Um, that's that's one of my personal favorites. Uh, let's see what else. Um, uh, Fry Cook Games is definitely a top five. It's like their version of the Olympics. Uh, it's like SpongeBob versus Patrick. Very, uh, very tense stuff, especially if you like sports. Um,
0: is this a show that is easy to define by its signature episodes, or better taken as a whole? Like, for example, like I think you look at something like Seinfeld, and I always think of people going right to their favorite episode.
2: I think you have to go with the collective version because. I mean if you see like SpongeBob for whatever reason has become like one of the most popular sources of memes and gifs on the internet yeah. um and I think that's how we remember the show in characters and expressions and in faces and you know not necessarily moment by moment obviously there's no like continual plot um or any kind of plot that makes any sense usually um but yeah I think it's more of a collective experience not as not as much like a seinfeld type thing
0: i'm glad you brought up the internet memification of the show because that was something i did want to ask you about why do you think it is that this um you know that this show has the resonance that it has online and i know that like we're in an era when there are like uh memes of pretty much everything but i'm with you like my exposure to the the characters in spongebob as someone who did not sort of grow up on it has largely come from just the memification of it so why do you think this is mm-hmm. has such a a, a has struck such a chord with the people who are sort of very online
2: yeah um well first of all i think they grew up with it um spongebob is the longest running nickelodeon show at this point um some spin-offs have been announced in the past couple of years so first of all, it's just that it's so it's such a constant presence in people's lives, especially people my age and younger um, who are, as you said, very online. Um, and it's just so colorful and expressive. There truly is, like, for any conceivable situation, there's like a moment from the show that you can kind of pull out. Uh, my personal favorite is the Mr. Krabs beam, where he looks all confused and everything's blurry all around him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I uh, the I I wish I had uh, the, the list pulled up of all the different references that they they've made, but like the just I, I think the the one that I I go to is like the is Squidward just like looking like so like just so just beaten down by life or whatever is <laughs> just the ultimate expression <laughs> of sadness. Uh, and, and there is like that tension too of like seeing these like colorful characters emit these like human emotions, which I think plays really well into the internet's hands. Definitely. So who, who are the characters do you relate to the most? Like, which one do you find to be the most of your, like, sort of, like, kindred spirit?
2: I think Squidward, for sure. I think most journalists would be Squidwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just very cynical, like you said, beaten down. Um, <laughs> uh very much like the person in the window watching the kids play outside like he is in that one picture that everyone uses, which is very handy for the pandemic, by the way, Um, just someone trapped inside watching fun happen around them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Um, he's also I, I can't even remember like what I would use to back this up. But in the musical, he's very coded as Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I am Jewish. And I'm uh, like I said, like I don't have a good reason for thinking this at this point. I'm sure there was something that caught my eye in the in the musical, but it, maybe it was just a Jewish actor. I'm not even totally sure.
0: <laughs> I do want to I want to read a quote that you had um about SpongeBob, the actual title character. You say mm-hmm. he's optimistic, sometimes relentlessly so, but without the nagging sense of self-seriousness that renders similar characters in other shows unwatchable. And I thought that was a really good take because he does seem to be someone who has to straddle that very tricky line between being earnest and optimistic and the sort of warming center of the show but without tipping over into where it's just so cloying and annoying that you don't want to you don't want to watch it. So can you describe why you think that SpongeBob was able to be that sort of hero that could that could you know, uh, balance those two worlds?
2: Yeah, I think it probably helps that he isn't human, that we're not taking him (laughs) too seriously as like an avatar for ourselves. Um, but yeah, he's just so tirelessly optimistic, but he does get himself into a lot of down situations and you see him, he's not like smiling through them per se he he takes them seriously he um you look at an episode where he's really beaten down like the april fools episode um where squidward plays this whole like elaborate prank on him and it's very mean um and you see him like sit in that sadness for a while so he's he's pretty relatable in that regard
0: yeah that's a really interesting note on that he's him not being human helps him straddle that line that is a great transition to the musical, okay? Because they, <laughs> yes. the thing that I was so shocked about, and look, I I got two kids. It's a pandemic. I, I know. I live in Chicago. I've been a little bit further removed from the nuts and bolts of the Broadway scene here than maybe uh, you know five six years ago. So I didn't know much about the musical. Uh, but my co host okay. texted me and he's like, "Hey, it's really charming. I love it. Like, you know, you should definitely talk about it." And I Google it and I'm like, oh, my God, it's just real people. Like, it's just—it's not a Lion King like <laughs> extravaganza or people in suits or costumes or whatever. And I, I found that super fascinating. So how do you think they pulled that off where they, they just decided to um, abandon the iconography of the cartoon in favor of, of trying to present more of a, uh, I guess, expression of the traits of the characters through the actors playing them?
2: Yeah, I think it was a really smart choice. Um, nothing on stage is going to recreate the feel of our cartoon like at all. Um, and I mean, I haven't seen The Lion King, but my, impre- my understanding of it is that it didn't like super work. Um, so I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. Um, I think they took a gamble on their music, honestly, and I think it, it really paid off like that that would be enough to carry the sentiments of the characters.
0: So your socials are pretty. I mean, you you plant a you plant a SpongeBob musical uh, flag in the ground. Like I think your Twitter bio is just <laughs> like to talk to me about the SpongeBob musical. How many times? Yeah. How much do people actually take you up and and go to you for their thoughts?
2: Not nearly enough, oh, honestly. Um, I would love for that to change. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully, in doing this podcast, yes. that prompts some responses. This is the first um, step, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um no, uh sometimes PR people will mention it to me in pitches or um every once in a while. Yeah, the, just the other day actually, I got a DM that started with, "Sorry this isn't about the SpongeBob musical, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> so when did you first so, see it?" Uh,
2: I saw it on Broadway. Uh like the one year it was on Broadway. I guess it was like maybe 3 years ago now. And something did, like that.
0: Did you see it just once or did you go back?
2: I only saw it once it really stuck with me though clearly
0: yeah i was going to say what did you remember were, were the things that really moved the needle for you in terms of you mentioned the music already but like why did you think you resonated so much with it
2: yeah um i guess part of what helped is i went in expecting to not like it um i had seen the intro song in like the macy's thanksgiving day parade like the year before or whatever when they were just like advertising the show and it didn't really resonate with me then, um, I was just skeptical like um like your question had a note of skepticism about like you know how do they how do they capture this so well and like I didn't think they could um yeah, right. but it just uh it has everything um it's like one of those like uh Bill Hader meme, like you know this club has everything um <laughs> and- <laughs> It has like Patrick in a cult. It has Squidward tap dancing. It has Plankton rapping. It's just impossible to walk away and not love it.
0: What's your favorite of the song? I won't make you sing. I won't try to trick you into uh, into <laughs> throwing out a few bars. But what 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 would you be your your favorite or go to songs?
2: Uh, that's a great question, and I'm glad you're not going to make me sing because unlike the fun song, I probably don't remember <laughs> the words to all these songs. <laughs> so, fair. um. Let's see. I really do. I think I have to go with the Squidward tap dancing song called I'm Not a Loser. Um, and that is by They Might Be Giants, I believe.
0: Oh, I'm a big They Might Be Giants fan. I, like Flood, I think, might have been my like the second tape I ever owned um, when I was a kid. That, that Their reinvention as sort of like family entertainers is uh, I, I always marvel at.
2: It's 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 great, yeah. They're um they're a fascinating bunch. I really like Birdhouse in Your Soul. Oh yeah. So
0: <clears throat> going back to SpongeBob, what are the other s- mm-hmm. songs from the show that you think um are you people should be googling when they hear this?
2: Um, definitely the Plankton rap because it's very in the style of Hamilton, and it's just. It's very impressive. I remember I saw the backup plankton do it, so I can't even imagine how good it is when the original plankton does it.
0: <laughs> oh, you got, I'm sorry, you got the 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 stand-in plankton. That's kind of a bummed bad beat.
2: <laughs> really, a subpar experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was great. Um, what other songs? I mean, there are so many. It's like it's like absurd, and everyone is written by like someone you know. Hmm. Um,
0: What about the staging? Like, I I was looking at some of the... I mean, the sets are fairly elaborate, and they have to kind of create this underwater environment. How well do you think they... Look, in an era when... I I know that these shows have huge budgets, and you just think they're all going to work, but we're not that far removed from Spider-Man into the darkness or whatever that was, (laughs) where like they tried to kill all their actors. So how do you think they pulled off the sort of... um, For a show that was so absurdist, and a show that was, you know, eager to throw SpongeBob into incredibly dynamic physical situations. How do you think they kind of captured or or replicated that style, replicated that style, um, on stage?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think they didn't try too hard, which is important. Um, I think they went more minimal. Um, I mean, minimalist probably isn't the right word, but they laid back a little bit on, um, actual scenery and kind of like put their effort into the costuming um which i think was really helpful um i you know i think it's good that there's not like jellyfish like floating in the background of every scene i think that would have gotten a little exhausting (laughs) yeah and what
0: about the movies themselves like did you did you are you someone that thinks the the well the original spongebob movie i think is like 15 years old by now. They did a follow-up a couple years ago. Do you think that they worked as successfully as the series, or do they fall in the Simpsons-style genre of series best left on TV?
2: Yeah, um, I haven't watched the original movie in a very long time, um, and I don't think I've even seen all the movies. So that probably speaks to your point that it's probably not like essential viewing, because I definitely... um, would have seen it if it was essential viewing. Um but the original movie I remember was great. or at least I thought so. I thought it also used music very well. Um, I was also a literal child <laughs>
0: <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> It's like I, I'm still at the age where my seven year old, like no matter what we watch, she's just happy to be watching a movie. and you just yeah. know there's gonna be that day when I put something on and she goes, yeah, Dad, that sucked. Like you know, <laughs> just like <laughs> bending that day off as long as possible.
2: What What do you think's going to trigger that? What movie?
0: Oh, I don't know. We We've experimented with some uh, live action stuff. So like, we played like the uh-huh. Goosebumps movie for her around Halloween. Actually, we tried Hocus Pocus this year, and she, I guess that might that might have been one that she just rejected. Now she didn't say, "I don't want to watch it." It was more like us saying, "Do you understand what's going on?" And she's like, "No." And we were like, "Okay, turn it <laughs> off," because it's such a frenetic movie. So I, I don't know. Something I'm sure that that is more on the boring end, or what it'll probably be is me like giving her something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit that I loved as a kid, and she's just like, "Dad, these effects are, you know, have not aged, and who cares about you know these characters?" I don't know. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I did want to ask you about is there is a cottage industry of. Fan, like, deep cut theories, conspiracies, like, all these, like, kind of attempts to inject some sort of, like, deeper lost style meaning onto the Spongebob universe. What's your take on, on that stuff online? And is there anything you subscribe to?
2: Um... I can't say there's anything I subscribe to except the fact that Spongebob is asexual. I'm asexual. I think it's like somewhat canon that he's asexual just because, I mean, he's never come out on the show. I think that would be absurd, but, um, so I'm, that's not one of the darker theories, but I do like that one. Um, I think my favorite one that I don't subscribe to is that Krabby Patties are made out of crabs. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a little too dark. Um,
0: There's there's others that I was looking at that like that they're somehow like the result of nuclear tests, um, right? Or that they the whole thing is a metaphor for global warming. I don't know. Right. I mean, I, you'd have to really you'd have to really get some hard evidence th- that the creators had some sort of subversive, um, you know, thing in mind to go back and try to to thread some sort of like through line through the entire series like that.
2: I was just gonna say I think the truth is that Steven Hillenburg was interested in marine biology and you know so he made some marine biology friends come to life (laughs) (laughs) exactly i I don't think that's good enough for reddit so (laughs) i also
0: think that we live in clickbait culture where if if you've got something that has nostalgia to it it's easy to make a conspiracy video and and get you know a couple hundred thousand views and and go from there
2: oh i mean entirely do you know the rugrats conspiracy theory no oh there's there's a lot of like creepypasta Rugrats stuff yeah,
0: I don't know about all of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned r- Rugrats. Uh, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was about it, for maybe folks like me who've got kids or people who might want to be looking for something to binge or watch. Uh clearly we've mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about SpongeBob. Is there any other shows from your your youth or animated shows that you would point people to like a Rugrats or something like that that you think has similar comedy style that they might like?
2: Yeah, I think Rocco's Modern Life is a gem. Um, Mm. It's very crude, but you don't, it's only noticeably crude if you're an adult, I think. Um, Right. It's very funny. Steven Hellenberg also worked on it, so there's that same kind of vibe there. Um, And Rugrats for sure. you can't hate anything that Mark Mothersbaugh worked on and he <laughs> did the theme music for Rugrats. So yeah, it's um, it's funny.
0: I always used to talk about Animaniacs as being like my deep cut animation uh, from back in the day. Now they just rebooted the series. So I'll be interested to see if it, um, if it holds up or if it was all in my head. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, so hey, that's, that's going to be a good one.
0: Well, this was great. Anything, any final thoughts? Look, the floor is yours for any final hot, hot hot takes about the um the, the the spongebob musical it hopefully this won't be your last time but uh but please air them out now if you got them
2: oh man the pressure um i would say i just this isn't even a hot take or a take really but i just really want squidward's pants from the spongebob musical <laughs> um they're just incredible i would i can't tap dance but i think i would have to try if i had access to these pants they're just uh, lots of legs moving around. Uh, you gotta look it
0: up. try to and refrain from the and don't get lost salt And we are back in the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things that show off their personality and their passions, and then we tell them, stop it. You're being a locker room distraction. Get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate locker room distractions every week by by showing you what's been distracting us. And uh, Gareth, uh, why don't we start with you? We're going to do some old school distractions. Just talk about what we've been into.
1: I love this. I love just like... A week of classic distractions. And I wrote down a bunch of things. You wanna do you wanna been. slam
0: some hammers? You wanna go that classic? <laughs> oh man. What is the hammer? How it, did that work? Okay, so when okay, by the way, I I bring this up because Gareth, you and I are celebrating a milestone uh this month, which is five right. years. Five years of this show existing, uh, and then five years of you and I doing it together, which started right at the beginning of December or the end of November of in two thousand fifteen. Yep. Um, and when it started, we would do, we would do like invites. So our way of talking about what athletes <laughs> did away from sports was just like inviting them on. Um, and you, myself, Adam, pro- super producer, Joe Reed would, uh, would break it down, man. It was, uh, it was very, a very retro. And... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe wow, we'll end the year retro. by
0: slamming some hammers on invites for next year.
1: I like that. That's fun. So, <laughs>
0: All right. So what's been distracting you though? What's, what's, what's been on the top of your I, mind? I
1: mean, I've got, dude, it's awesome. I've got like, the, the, I'm really, like I said, I like the classic distraction. I got the full gamut. I'm like, yo, you want a show? I got a show for you. It's on Hulu. It's Lodge 49. It's, um, it's this great kind of weird, almost sort of Lebowski vibe of a show about this guy who's a surfer who gets injured because he goes on a trip and gets bit by a snake and so he can't surf anymore and he's kind of down and out and looking for any direction in his life and he he can't work at his old job as a pool repairman because his dad ran the pool shop and his dad died so he's looking for any direction in his life and out with a metal detector one day he finds a ring to an elk's like lodge called the lynx and so he goes and joins lodge 49 and it sets him on a new path and i'll just say that's about it it's beautiful it's funny it's very wise about life it's odd it, it keeps it's like got this like almost lost Style of like just piling on plot after plot, but unlike Lost, you don't care where any of it's going because they make it very clear that the journey is the whole thing, um, not the destination. And so, I highly recommend it. It was on AMC, it's now on Hulu, it was cancelled after its second season. It's also one of those shows that I cannot get mad about it being cancelled because it's so bizarre that I'm like, I'm just happy it existed at all ever. So... Lodge 49 has been a beautiful distraction on Hulu. Check it out. It stars uh, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell, and Goldie Hawn's son. And uh, I forget the actor's name. I think it's Brent something, but he's the guy that plays Ron Washington in Moneyball. Um, Oh, all right. Yeah, those are the two stars. So that's my
0: show distraction. All right. So my first one, I've went down a weird internet rabbit hole. Now you you're familiar with the rise in, I would call say, (laughs) voice centric singing competitions like The Voice or like The Masked Singer, or there's some new one I can hear your voice or something like that. But Mm -hmm. did you watch any of these shows, Gareth?
1: I watched The Masked Singer with my kids.
0: Okay, I don't watch any of these shows. I recently found YouTube links to the. Overseas versions of these shows. So, like The yeah. Voice, but in some Eastern European country. And what is really awesome is going down a rabbit hole of watching, you know, you know like overseas performers who don't speak English singing <laughs> like American pop songs <laughs> in English. <laughs> right, right. And it's awesome. And it's also like, super compelling because you, you take for granted how, because so much of pop culture kind of, you know, for us originates here or in our language, we take for granted how somebody else might have been, you know, if, if they're going to sing their once in a lifetime performance, they might sing Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. I just found myself like listening to song after song after song. Those was clearly people who do not speak English singing in English. It was very cool. Huh. So like what got you onto
1: that if you don't watch these on your own? Like, did you watch the Will Farrell Eurovision movie, which I could also recommend? It's on Netflix and was very funny. Um No, but it like, was what what sent you down this I wouldn't know how to find this rabbit hole.
0: This was pure algorithm, man. It was like okay, okay, I was listening yeah, yeah. to a cover on YouTube while working. Like oh. I don't listen to Spotify music. I don't know how to describe it. Like my work has very uh distinct uh, apps they let you put on your computer. So I was working no, on I've something. Got, I've
1: got a friend like this, we talk all the time, and but he's he won't listen to anything if I send him a Spotify link. So I have to send it on YouTube. I get it. Right. So, so
0: I'm listening to some sort of song on YouTube and then that song auto like I might jump around to other songs and then eventually I focus too much on work and i just lose track of things and it's like oops now i'm on like mm-hmm. the fourth recommendation of this playlist and it's oh it's the voice it's a it's a version of right, that right. song so at some point i think i ran into i think i mentioned wicked game or maybe it was i don't know i'd have to go look at like what are some of the other popular songs people sing or like hallelujah came up a lot
1: i think oh, yeah i'm sure that did yep
0: and so it just you just kind of wind up there, but anyway, I th- I, th- I just thought it was really fascinating. So, anyway, uh, that's that's yeah. my number one. I got one more, but I'll I'll jump back to you.
1: Okay, again, keep it at old school. I've got a podcast recommendation. You're wrong about with Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. Um, he is an editor at the Huffington Post. She is writing a book about the Satanic Panic, and they just look at back at historical events or figures and tell you how you're wrong about them. And basically I got into this because a friend recommended their history of disco told through you're wrong about Disco Demolition Night. And it's fascinating. And it ends up being about how the disco backlash was actually a backlash against queer and black music. And basically the guy that organized Disco Demolition Night was a rock DJ who had lost his job um to a reformatting of his station into a disco station and how basically this sort of like i don't know bigoted undercurrent was built into the disco backlash they also told the history of disco in it in a really succinct way and it was awesome and then i was like i would listen to more of this podcast and they had a five-part series on princess diana leading up to her death and brad Princess Di died the day I showed up to college. You know, like I I, I
0: remember being in my loft in my dorm room with my TV up there and I fell asleep with it on and I woke up and I was like, Princess Diana died. (laughs) Like, what is going on?
1: I woke up getting ready to go to Skidmore in a hotel in Albany. And had to be there by 10. And we were trying to get out the door. And all morning, every news station was just like shots of this car in a tunnel. And I was like, holy crap, what a weird way to start. Co-. So I was like, I could go in for a little bit of the Diana history. And this has been, for me, the perfect way. I don't need to watch a full season of The Crown. I don't need to watch a documentary. I can listen to this while walking around. Is a five-part. Super fun, kind of funny, but very intelligent look back at the royal family. Like Michael Hobbs worked as um, he he did a lot of reporting over the years in human rights. And he's arguing that like having a royal family and or having to be in the royal family is basically a human rights violation for how it warps <laughs> you as a person. Now I'm not. He's saying like, look. I will acknowledge uh, that there's unbelievable wealth, <laughs> and they do not suffer, but what it does to them as a person is so degrading and harmful that it is a human rights violation to have a royal family at this point in time. Um, anyway, it's sort of fascinating list, so that would be my second classic distraction would be. Uh, the You're Wrong About podcast
0: Look I know a thing or two about Diana Namely that she was murdered By the Illuminati because they didn't want Her deconstructing those landmines
1: There you go We've gotten into her <laughs> landmine charity work, So thank you Yes you nailed it
0: so. The Diana conspiracy theories Are a something um, Anyway Gareth my number two this could have been an entire episode for us, but I'm gonna keep it keep it light, keep it it breezy. But I definitely want your thoughts on my second distraction because Tommy knockers, Tommy knockers knocking at your door. I did it this morning. Even I finished. All Ar- I want to say is,
1: hey, Bobby Burke, you're welcome. We've been book club this
0: <laughs> one. This morning, I finished what is arguably Stephen King's least loved book from his his first run, uh, his first 20 years, I would say, where he was just like the undeniable, you know, number one, you know, best-selling machine. Mm. And Gareth, I kind of liked it, like really liked it almost. <laughs> and I don't, I don't quite know how to put my finger on it. But here's my assessment. I want to see what you think. You ready? I
1: listen. I I have jokes that I carry with it with me, like a younger person's love of this novel. But at the same time, like I don't get all the hate. I can imagine it, but yeah. Okay, so go on.
0: Okay. Here's my assessment of it. I'm not sure it fully works as straight. Stephen King You know Plot driven Horror mm-hmm. I'm not sure It works Totally as Sci-fi Page-turner It 100% Works though As Body horror Like It huh. is a Cronenberg Book If Cronenberg Wrote books <laughs> and That's a great Way to put it It What I had Never known Because I had Seen I think The um, Miniseries Which I think really plays yeah. down the yeah. body elements because it was on TV. Right. This book is like, it all takes place in Chernobyl. Like everyone is huh. sick all the time. The things that are happening to their bodies are very visceral. Teeth are falling out. Like the, the the people are becoming sickly. And from that perspective, I've always heard of it as like his addiction metaphor because he was just about at the, at the bottom of his addictions and he was spiraling out of control and he barely remembers writing some of this stuff. And, and a lot of it does read like he was coked up writing a novel that he didn't know what to do with. But from the, if you're going to look at it as an addiction metaphor, instead of c- thinking about it as his cocaine novel, it, it reads more like a heroin novel. Like it, there are distinct moments of reading this that feel like they're out of the, the first half of train spotting. And it, as that, as the the town becomes more linked by their connection to the aliens and the bodies start to fall apart and that experience becomes visceral it's undeniably powerful as an addiction metaphor and as a truly scary and startling book even if you you know you have to sort of at a certain point like Shrug off inconsistencies with the plot and the characters, and just focus on the this as visceral reading experience. I love
1: the idea of this as a body horror novel. Now it makes a lot more sense to me than just as as you put it, like horror or sci-fi or something. It takes place within Chernobyl, like within a toxic area that is infecting everybody that lives in it. and that's and making them codependent you know i mean that's the nature of
0: of like kind of communal addiction as well the one thing i will say is there's a scene where a kid as like strange things happen throughout the town there's like one of those like stephen king runways where he does Mm -hmm. you know 10 straight chapters about different people kind of losing their minds and that's really powerful and the most powerful is the kid doing the magic show and he Mm -hmm. makes his little brother disappear and no one realizes how because like they're just un, you know discovering this kind of reawakened power It really bothered me like having two kids and thinking about my oldest daughter doing a magic show and just like pulls the drape back and like hey where's violet ha, ha that's cool and then being like oh my god she's disappeared i, I really had a hard time with so if you mm. if, if you are a king fan uh, I, I think it's really me and Randall Colburn who are the last two uh, Tommy Knockerheads. heads, but I, this is, I don't know if it's in my top 10, Stephen King, but dude, it might be like top 15 for sure.
1: That's awesome. I like this reassessment of the Tommy knockers. So, all right. So well there done. you go.
0: And mom, we kept it short. All right. So Gareth, uh, what's your last distraction? Well, and then
1: points? I'll end there. Like, just know that I got more distractions for the future. Like I like ending there, dude. Like it, it like, Keep it short. Keep it tight. We don't need to go on and on, you know. <laughs> a so. tight
0: twenty. A tight twenty on our distractions. This yeah, week. <laughs> exactly.
1: There you go. Dude, a tight twenty defines podcasting. By the way, like that is podcasting.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. So, so uh, one of our listeners, trucker Truck and Johnny, sent me a, a a meme that was like this Donnie Darko meme where he's talking to his therapist. And he's like, it's like a, the shot of Donnie Darko. And he's like, I made some new friends. And then you see the therapist and she's like, real people or podcast hosts. And he's like, <laughs> podcast hosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's go. kind of like me during the pandemic. Like I see none of my new friends, but I feel uh, eerily close to the podcast I've been binging. So
1: amen to that. There you go. All
0: right. Well, let's end with some shout outs. Let's shout out Julie Kliegman. From Sports Illustrated, go check out their work. Lots of still really talented, um, you know, writers, creators at SI, and I, you know, I'm I, I visit their site uh, frequently throughout the week, um, and, and go follow her on Twitter and uh, like she says in her bio, uh, talk to her about the SpongeBob musical. Uh, Gareth, you uh, you got any shout-outs for us? No, I'll
1: just follow that. like Julie. If I ever run into you and in around New York, we'll talk about the musical. So.
0: Yeah, I, I did. I did apologize. I was like, M- really, my co should be doing this one, but he's <laughs> he's uh, preoccupied. But, you know, hey, yeah. And uh, Gareth, we'll have some more shows coming up here to close out the year. If you've got ideas for year end specials you want us to do, just let me know. And happy five years of podcasting anniversary. buddy. Happy
1: five years, Brad. Nice work. Yeah,
0: Thanks. I mean, and uh, shout out to Adam and Joe. Uh, uh, in your respectives, and uh, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers.
1: Stay booty.